Again. My name is Matt Rury. We are on CLNS Media. We are on Blog Talk Radio. We are going to talk to you for 90 minutes here at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday about some stuff and things and MBA. We're going back to our roots. We're going back to basics. That's what the title of this show is tonight. Calvin Chamberlain here as always. My man. Yeah, that's me. That's you. What you got? Uh, what do I have? Uh, what did I say we were starting with? See, this is, this is another staple of us. <laughs> well, I mean, so listen, uh, for a couple of post-game shows in a row now here on CLNS Media, I have teased the fact that we're going to talk about the Cavs trade deadline on this show tonight. So right. we're not going to disappoint. We will, we will go with that right off the bat. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it, Ray. Uh, you know, everyone anticipated a, a quiet trade deadline, which I feel like happens every year. Like, not necessarily if there's a quiet deadline every year, but every year, like, the media is out there saying, like, uh, there's going to be a disappointing trade deadline, there's not a lot of trade. And then, like, one out of every three years, they're right about that. But then the other two years, there's at least one major move. And I feel like, I mean, this year, look, overall, you want to say it was a disappointing trade deadline, that's fine in terms of, like, the amount of teams that got involved. Uh, the Celtics didn't do anything, obviously. That, as a Celtics fan, you, you might find that a, a little disappointing. We can get to that in a few minutes. But, I mean, what the Cavs did at the, at the trade deadline, to, to my memory, is, is basically unprecedented, right? Can you ever remember a team trading away six guys at one time? No. <laughs> No, not, especially not in one day. I mean, I, I bet it's happened over the course of a few days. I, I bet actually Danny Ainge has pulled it off in, over the course of a few days with four to six players 
being traded like in separate in the middle deals. Of the season, but though. right, I, well, I mean, towards the trade deadline, I would have to look back at some of Ainge's moves when the team wasn't really that good and he was just shipping guys off for picks, etc. It's possible that he traded that many players. Uh, in the middle of a, a season, um, but it's it's oh, like, like not especially not on a good league. team. The key is is a good team. You know, it's, it's not it doesn't happen with right. good teams like that. Um, but yeah, it happened with Cleveland. Point. They blew their team. They they got rid of six of their top or six of the, what people thought were their top players, pretty much, and they were all rotation guys. And now uh, they're a lot younger. And people are going nuts for this team. I, I'm going to check the score on that Oklahoma City game right now because I'm interested in that one. But people are going crazy. They're saying that Cleveland is, is by far the favorite in the East now just because of that one game against the Celtics on Sunday. Wait. Yeah, before we, we, since you went to there, I'll, I'll, I'll go there first. I do want to, like, break down the, you know, these moves individually and how you, how you felt about them. But um, – yeah, it's, this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about. It's fascinating to me that the Cavaliers essentially played one game because, yeah, they did play a game against the Hawks uh, after deadline day, but it was before the the, uh, the the incoming players came to the team, which was also an interesting situation because they were minus the six guys, but they didn't have any of the four incoming guys. So it was essentially a six-man team, you know, with, right. with, with some off-the-street signed guys, some D-lead call-ups. Um, you know, it, it would be would have been much more interesting if they weren't playing the Hawks. But in any case, yeah, you want to say they're they're two and zero since the trade deadline. That's fine. But immediately the sort of public reaction seems, excuse me, and the reaction from everyone that I've I've encountered seems to be like immediate immediate uh, return to the notion that like oh the Cavs are back in the finals again. It's a lock that they're going to the finals, which it's like oh. Like maybe they're maybe they're going back to the finals again. Maybe not. I just find it fascinating that the the like insecurity, or if you want to say security, relating to the Cavs is so so fragile that like they play one one good game against the Celtics essentially, <laughs> like kind of that Hawks game. And it's like everyone. It, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like in Boston. Maybe you can tell me it's different. I don't know if there's panic in the streets or what. But it's like. Oh. Yeah, it's like a stock market, like high-stakes gamble situation where, like, all of a sudden, everyone's just immediately on the other side and just assuming they're going to go back to the finals, they've solved all their problems, uh, you know, everything is everything is all good for them, or if you're a Celtics fan, like, yeah, everything is terrible now, we've lost hope. Well, no, I don't think people have lost hope. They're not losing hope over here in Boston. I think that they believe the team will be fine and bounce back. I mean, they are in a little bit of a slump. They have a lot of things to figure out after the All-Star break. And to be honest with you, Calvin, I hate to make an excuse for this, and I know how you feel about this topic in general, but I really do believe that the fans around here and the people surrounding the team have kind of ignored this weekend and the way the team has played and focused on Paul Pierce returning to have his number retired. And we don't need to get into that because it, no, uh, there's really not much to get to. I mean, we can we mentioned it. Fine, he got his number retired on I, Sunday, but it it, it only, it only have, for me ties into the fact that people are sort of ignoring the, the the team playing poorly and focusing on that. So if they come out on Wednesday and they put up a stinker against the Clippers, I think you might see some people start to, to have a little bit of panic. But the good thing about that is uh, the All Star break is here, and they have plenty of time to figure it out before they come back and try and 
get back on their winning ways. I do have a thought on the Paul Pierce thing. Now that now that we're just on it right now, uh, we need to get right back into this sort of. Uh, I didn't really want to get get to the subjects yet because I have more thoughts on the Cavaliers, but I, you know this is all integrated. But as far as Paul Pierce goes, let me ask you this: Is it a good idea, just generally speaking, to postpone someone's retirement ceremony till entirely after the game because of just mm, this scenario? No. Like the end of the no, it's not. It's not a good all idea. All over Paul Pierce and his and his like consistent sad faces about what was happening on the court. Like, uh, like he's getting crowned all over the place, and I, I feel bad for him on his own retirement ceremony, essentially. You know what I mean? Like, dude, they make, have to make him wait and sit there. I mean, at least, look, in Kobe's scenario, Kobe got his tribute, and then he, and then he bounced. He was out. I mean, he, I think that game went to overtime, so I guess, to be right. fair, he stayed through the fourth quarter. Well, I know, it was at halftime. So the, the Celtics, I think, were trying to balance the, the fact that they wanted to spend – uh, give Pierce a, a full hour and give him the attention that they believed he deserved. Because if you look back at, at some of their other um, their other tribute or their other um, uh, retirement ceremonies, uh, you can see Larry Bird got his whole got a whole day to himself. There was not even any game that day that night. So they they picked the night where they, they weren't even playing a basketball game in the middle of the season to to honor him. So that was a whole separate thing. And they, he's, he's a, a, a Hall of Famer, and he meant a, a lot to the, to the franchise. Um, I'm looking now. Cedric Maxwell had his number retired. Uh, and they announced it in April. Let's see, when was this? Sorry, I'm trying to find this because I, I'm pretty sure that that was a, a situation where it was a halftime type of thing. Ba-ba-bah at the beginning of the 0304 season. So yeah, they probably did it. They probably did it just at the beginning of a game or, or something like that. And I don't have the details of it right now, but the point is that they wanted to give Pierce a little more than that, I think, and doing it after the game to, to make it that unlimited type of thing to sort of let people talk and have their, have their say was the way they decided to do it. But in hindsight, and even before that, I, I was confused about why it was starting after the game, but in hindsight, I think that they may change their mind if it ever comes down to that again. If they find that they need to retire another number in the future, they might do it differently because uh, people were restless. I think and a lot of people, most people stayed, most people stuck it out throughout the entire horrible game. But when you put, you, when you risk putting a, a horrible product on the court and like basically forcing people to stay, it's not a really good look. Yeah, it, it was funny to hear them. You know, nobody wanted to leave, obviously. Like, that's part of the – I mean, they're playing the Cavaliers anyway, so, like, that that was going to be a hot ticket no matter what. But, you know, I, sure, I think Sure, but had left that, that game down yeah. 30, people would have been leaving. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, throughout the fourth quarter, they're just chanting, we want Pierce. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can't blame them. Like, it's like they're being held hostage in this situation where it's essentially being, like, thrown in their face that their team is not playing well. And they're, they're watching, you know, guys who are terrible out there and a game that's hitting 30 points. Like, nobody wants to stay. Right. Like, you can't blame anybody for leaving early in that situation. I wouldn't want to stay through that. Then it's like, yeah, the Pierce thing. And then the Pierce thing was like another hour on top of it. It's like, yeah, it's great, to, I guess, to give him that time. But I, I just, I question the decision a little bit. And especially, like I said, like a little bit of throwing Pierce under the bus, too. Although, I, like, some of Pierce's quotes... I feel like Pierce is like, I don't know, it seems like since he's retired, a couple of things that he said, like, he sort of, 
like I, I'm trying to see if I can pull this up right now, but he had a certain quote about like getting props from Kobe and, and somebody else. Do you, do you know what quote I'm talking about? Let's see if I can find it. Um, I don't know the exact quote, but I mean, he, <laughs> I do know that uh, they asked him about Ray Allen and he was more interested in Tony Allen not being there. So um, and he did say a few things. I, I, I think that he, I think that he's trying to play his cards right and just keep it close to the vest and not make anybody mad or anything like that. So, um, but he's also at the same time, not that humble. It seems he, he's, he's not as humble as he, as he was as a player. It seems, I think he's, he's grown more arrogant for some reason. He, he didn't really seem hum, seemed humbled to take, to get the honor. You know, it almost was like he, he knew it was hap- It was going to happen. It was. It was bound to happen. And I'm not trying to knock him in this situation because I think he deserves it 100. percent But it seems like some other guys might have seemed a little bit more humbled. And I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm not in Paul Pierce's head. It, that's just the way it was perceived. Yeah, I. I think I think it had to do with uh, with Robert Parrish's comments that, that Pierce was the greatest offensive Celtic ever, which. Come on, come on, yep. come on, guys. That's ridiculous. You played with Larry Bird. Like, Larry, there's no <laughs> question that Larry Bird is the greatest offense in Celtic ever. Like, I don't, this is not even a conversation for me. I don't know. I, don't know about I, that, I mean, I think it, it, honestly, it, it is a conversation, but it depends on how you're, oh, how you're looking at it. I mean, do you, do you think Larry Bird could have gotten his own shot and, and scored whenever he wanted, basically, like Paul Pierce did in the prime of his career? And, I mean, Bird was more of a motion offense type of guy. He was, he was an all-around genius with the basketball, and he's one of the all-time greats. But if you're looking at the modern NBA and just a guy who can get buckets and score at will, I, I feel like Pierce is that, is that guy. So if we're talking team basketball, which is the, the way it should be played, I'm going with Bird. But if we're talking that we're going to set up a, a bunch of isolations in a, in a game – Pierce is the guy. That's funny because I I don't think of Pierce as like the, the quote face of modern basketball because so much of his game is like mid post turnaround jumpers situations that like Larry Bird was also good at. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't necessarily see like like you and you didn't say it directly, but sort of like it. So you sort of hand at the notion that like no, that so. Larry Bird wouldn't be able to thrive in this modern game at. at like the way Pierce did, but I think that the bulk of Pierce's career like existed oh. mostly before. You know, Pierce was already sort of on his decline when this you know basketball revolution took place. I don't. No, I, I don't. don't know. I, I'm, I don't, I'm just about Celtic history. I'm not saying that Pierce is the, is the greatest scorer or he is a poster boy for the modern era. I'm saying compared. And I'm, not, I'm also not saying that Bird wouldn't be able to hang because he certainly would. That guy had eyes in the back of his head. He. He can hang in any era as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I would not call – if I had two guys on the floor and the other team's, the other team, team's defense called for an isolation play or I, I felt like that was the best way to, to get a bucket, I would give it to Pierce. If I wanted to get somebody coming off a screen or trying to fade – trying to – fake out a guy when he's moving without the ball to get himself open to get a shot, I'd go with Larry Bird every day, all day. All right, fair enough. I guess the, the bigger point I was making with all of this was that, like, that Pierce's reaction toward it, uh, to it was like, 
Oh well, like you know, Robert Parrish is a great player. So I'm, I'm, I'm instead of like I, I expect, I guess I other people did too. Expected him to be like a little deferential, somewhat. Like now I still think it's Larry Bird, but he was kind of he was kind of more like like oh well, that uh, like I'm honored to have Parrish say that about me. You know what I mean? Because he believes I guess, it. I'm sure he believes it. Yeah, he, no, he does. He does. And yeah, I don't. You know, I don't hate it entirely. Believe me, I. I we've discussed this before. Like. I enjoy arrogance somewhat from guys. It's just fascinating to me to see. I don't ever remember Pierce being this this guy so much. Like it's like maybe like Garnett could be accused of being this guy a little bit. And it seems like Pierce is becoming more Garnett like. And even after he left the Celtics, uh, you know, when he went to the Wizards and he was like, uh, you know, uh, talking crap about the uh, the Raptors, saying how he was the king of the port. He just really like stepping up his. It's like arrogant slash trash talking game in a way that I find fascinating. I think you're you're right. I think you're onto something here. Uh, he, he's he's very he's a very proud individual, especially after this. Huh. Right, <laughs> especially after this. Uh, anyway, in any case, back to the cats. Yeah, exactly. Back to the cats. So. Uh, let's separate this into two separate deals. I want to talk about the non-Lakers deal first because uh, the, the <laughs> Lakers one is easy. on the Lakers deal. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, these are both. I, well, we, we can talk about. The, I just want to talk about the Cavs overall. What you think of them going forward too? But so we can talk about yep. that. But but first, yeah, first things first. So they trade away Jay Crowder, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They trade away. Uh, who else did they trade away in that deal? They traded away Derek Rose, right? They traded yes. away. Uh, let's see, Channing Fire went with him. Who else went in that deal? That's it, right? Is somebody else? Who am I missing? Uh, um. Oh wait, no. Wait, Channing Fry went elsewhere. He went in the Laker deal. He, he, yeah, he, he went in the Laker deal. Yeah, yeah. It was Jay Crowder. It was Derek Rose, and I feel like I'm missing somebody. Uh, but so, oh, Iman Shumpert. That's what it was. Iman Shumpert. Yeah. Those right. three guys. And then they shipped off to Miami. Yeah. So Wade got shipped to Miami as like a favor to Wade. So the trade almost that trade like Wade going doesn't even matter. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of cool it's that just they did that for him. Thing to say because he was on the team. It's just another one of those guys that they thought was going right. to pan out and did not. Well, like I don't know. Like I don't. I don't hold anything against Wade because he's old. You know what I mean? He's old. He gave it his. He gave it his all. He's Dwayne Wade. Like I, I was the fact that they traded him back. I just so they, like give him, yeah. But but, the, but my point is, Shumpert, Derek Rose, and your boy Jay Crowder. Those hmm. three bums. I'm just gonna say it. Those three bums got shipped off to Utah in in Sacramento in exchange for not Rodney Hood or George Hill, but somehow Rodney Hill and George Hill. I mean Rodney Hood and George Hill. Like, yeah. Does this trade does this trade make any sense to you, Ray? Um, I think you might be overrating both Rodney Hood and George Hill. I, I think George, oh, yeah. they're both. I think they're both solid role players. Um, I think the guys that were sent out of Cleveland are not as good as them, and they definitely and Rodney Hood in particular has the highest ceiling uh, of all the players that were involved in those in, in that in those two deals, uh, or in, in the three way deal, I should say. Um, but I still, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't go anywhere near saying he's like an all-star type of player or anything like that. So I think he's going to be a solid role player. 
But in the right situation, Jake Crowder is a solid role player as well. And I think you're going to see that in, in Utah. He seems re-energized already. And I think if he's focused and he's, he, they get the most out of him, you're going to see that he, he can actually pr- be productive in the NBA still. So in the end, <clears throat> this doesn't seem like it's going to be something that really makes the Cavs that better, aside from the fact that the focus is now back on LeBron James. So I, that deal, in a nutshell, just looking at it in a vacuum, I'm, I, I think the Cavs did win the deal because Hood is, is the best player in the deal. Uh, but George Hill is just a serviceable point guard in my, in my mind. And if he was going anywhere else, that's all he would be. But since he's going to a specific situation where LeBron James is going to be the focus and he, all he's going to have to do is knock down open shots and get a handful of assists, I think he's going to be effective. So in a vacuum, Cleveland wins the trade because they got, got the best player. But looking at the situation, they win the trade uh, – even more so just because of the way it's going to open things up for them, I, I would think. I, but that doesn't mean that those guys are far and away more talented. I think it's it's more even than you're, you're making it out to be. I, I think that in, in talking about how George Hill is overrated, which is like not an unfair, uh, it's not an unfair uh, analysis. I think that it's, but I, but I think that you're, you're now, underrating the fact that, like, Hill is a, a big and versatile defender at the guard position who can, like, defend one through three in a way like the – now, you want to – you can say that Crowder uh, can do the same, and, yeah, that that's fair, but Crowder has been having a terrible year defensively. And, like, right. George Hill is actually – he's actually played pretty well defensively. The only reason they've cut his minutes in Sacramento is because they never should have signed George Hill in the first place because he's 35 <laughs> – and there's no reason to give him minutes on that terrible team, uh, especially when you have De'Aaron Fox behind him on the bench. So, like, right. that, I get why Sacramento did it. They wanted to give – you make him 17 mil, uh, 17 mil a year for the next three years. I get why Utah traded Rodney Hood because Rodney Hood's going to be a free agent. But I, I just still feel like – I feel like both of those guys individually are better than Crowder, who is the best of the three people traded away by Cleveland. You know what I mean? So like I, like if you you want to say George Hill overrated? That that's fine. I still think he's better than Jay Crowder right now. So when I so then when I add Rodney Hood to that, who's 25, and probably better than George Hill, right around the same the same talent level as George Hill, then I'm like, okay, then they got rid of Shepard, who like hasn't done anything in three years, and then they they got rid of Derrick Rose, who like wasn't even with the team for half the season. I don't I I like. Good on these two teams. Good on like Sacramento, I guess, for getting rid of the Hill contract, and good on Utah, I guess, for getting something for Hood before he became a free agent. But like, how is it? How is it so little? That's what that's what's boggling my mind about this deal for them. I don't, especially because this this same GM who's getting he's getting all the praise now, Kobe Altman, for this for this half of the deal, except an hour in the same in the same day, literally 60 minutes earlier. Kobe Hoffman was getting killed for for making the the Laker trade that, that got Jordan Clarkson and, and Larry Nance. And I, and I don't know if you like them more or or less. Uh, for 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 Isaiah Thomas, who's fine, they had to give it to Isaiah Thomas, you know, which they did. I've got a million thoughts on Isaiah Thomas, that I'll get to later. And, and Channing Frye, but then, but that that would be fine, right? They took on. Jordan Clarkson's salary the same way with George Hill, except somehow the Lakers got the Cavs' first-round draft pick out of it. 
in mm-hmm. Utah and yeah. Sacramento get nothing. Sacramento gets literally <clears throat> nothing except capitally. That's literally the only thing they got out of that deal. The Lakers got Isaiah Thomas and a first round pick. How can I like I don't understand the disparity between those two deals. Well, I think I think part of the problem is that um Isaiah Thomas was probably not coveted by many teams. And he probably wasn't coveted by the Lakers either. So that pick is sort of attached to Isaiah Thomas, I feel, if you're going to trade for him, because he's an unrestricted free agent, and he's likely to walk, so he's a rental. And you also are not looking for that player right now, if you're anyone, because you've seen what's happened in Cleveland. You saw that Boston traded him him away for whatever reasons, uh, and there are specific basketball reasons for that. His defense is, is one of them. But I think the, the pick is attached to Isaiah, whereas even though Jay Crowder and Amon Shumpert are having bad seasons, uh, and Channing Fry for that matter, actually he wasn't in that deal. <clears throat> I keep thinking he was. He went to the Lakers. Um, even though those guys are having those two guys are having relatively bad seasons, Crowder has value, and Shumpert. Maybe not so much, but Crowder has some value, and I think that in the right place, and you'll see. I'm, like I said, I think you're going to see this in Utah. He's already he's already gotten what 14 and 15 points back to back playing for for the Jazz uh, in pretty big minutes or 30 30 minutes a game basically, and he's had a few uh, three pointers in each game. So I think he's more comfortable. I think you're going to see that he's he has value and that he actually fits in. So a team actually wanted him which doesn't give them any leverage to sort of demand a pick in return. So, I don't know. I, I, yes, Isaiah Thomas is supposed to be the best player far and away, but he also has not proven that he's, that he's fully healthy, and I think that he's fine. He's going to be okay. Uh, other people aren't sure, but when he was traded, you couldn't, you couldn't prove that, and that's part of the reason I think the Lakers had the ability to hold that over the Cavs and say, listen, we know you want to get rid of this guy. It's obvious. You're going to send us the pick in, it, along with it, or there's no deal. So I think in that regard, Magic Johnson or whoever's pulling the strings over there made a, a really good business decision there. It was a good move by the Lakers trying to get that pick included. Okay. Well, I mean, boy, do I have some thoughts on the, on the, on the Laker part of this deal. So I, I'll get to you in a second. But, but to, to, you created a question in my mind, which is that, Look, the trade deadline was five five days ago. Okay, so like, so I, I I don't think in in your mind, right, that I that Isaiah Thomas's health outlook is like significantly different than it was on the day of the of the trade deadline right now. So if you're saying that you thought that Isaiah was going to be healthy and sort of become Isaiah, do you feel like the Cavs like made a mistake in trading this guy away when they did? considering the fact that, like, eventually he would turn back into Isaiah Thomas? Or do you think that the Cavaliers were, like, they were on the clock to the degree that, like, maybe maybe they couldn't even wait for him to come back because they're, they're out of the playoffs at that point? Because I don't, I don't think oh, that. I, don't think, I, don't think they, I mean, they wouldn't have been out of the playoffs. Of the but I, they, were, right. I, they wouldn't have been out of the playoffs. They would have been in the playoffs still. But I, I think that they made a decision in that he wasn't going to work out even if he became the Isaiah Thomas of old because of his attitude and because of the way that he thought he deserved the ball more than LeBron James. And they realized that if they're going to win basketball games and entice LeBron James to stay next year, this guy had to go. So, no, I don't think they made the wrong decision. I think that they 
needed to get rid of him, and it was pretty apparent, and it doesn't have anything to do with the injury because I, I think that in the right place, he would have looked better than he did for the last couple of weeks. All right, so they just had to get rid of him for, for like, mental reasons. Obviously, like, the things he was saying, the, the consistent crap he was talking about, Kevin Love. Look, the, the evolution of Isaiah Thomas this season has been fascinating. And, again, I was like, you know, for the Laker, Laker part of it, I got more quotes, but just some of the things that he was saying as a Cavalier, like, talking about how we don't die for loose balls. And, like, you know, he's like, when I was in Boston, we went out and we, we like, played defense by getting steals. Like, he's, he's been making these comments – like while it's being reported that he's the worst defensive player in the and the NBA rather in 25 years, like those two things were happening simultaneously. I don't know. He's like directly calling out to Ron Liu essentially, saying like he doesn't know how to yep. do the rotations. Uh, like you're not getting me the ball the right way. Just just saying whatever yeah. he wanted to the press. Well, you know what that you know what that to me to me that sort of means that he didn't he didn't feel respected in the locker room and it didn't happen immediately. He wasn't out there saying all this stuff right away. I mean, it, it took a, a couple of weeks before he actually was talking poorly about this team. I don't know. I feel like he he just didn't feel like he fit in there and he decided he was going to lash out through the media. That's what he does. Yeah. So. It, 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 I guess it is an interesting thing with his his personality, um, because I think that he he like largely sort of gets the credit, not the credit, but like I guess the credit is a fair statement. But like the credit is being like a good guy, and yes, you know he gets justifiable credit. Although uh, you know you could also argue that like he maybe should not have like played in the in the wake of the death of his sister, right? Like he gets he gets credit for the, you know, his his uh courageous decision to play through that sort of deep emotional trauma. And like I, I feel like he's beloved also because he's small, right? Uh he was beloved at Boston because he sort of really embraced the city, right? And and the the people of Boston. I mean hmm. maybe he didn't do yeah. that as much in it's just fascinating to me to see this guy in you know less than a 12-month period, just turn, turn from this, like, city's hero to a, to a guy who seems largely reviled. Like, I, don't, I can't remember such a quick turnaround for a player that I can think of off the top. I would like to think that Celtics fans don't actually revile Isaiah Thomas and that when, when he does end up coming back to Boston and playing in a game, People are going to cheer for him, and they're going to give him the respect he deserves around here because he did a lot for this team, and he really was the driving force behind their offense for many years. But I would say that perhaps, and this is a bigger picture thing, which actually you can go either way with this. I think it is a good thing for the Celtics in general. Uh, It's a great thing, in my opinion, of Brad Stevens, but look at the guys they've traded away and the performances that they've had in the short period of time after leaving pretty much every single player starting with like Evan Turner getting a big contract and then kind of falling on his face in Portland, all these guys leave the Celtics and have been praised and praised and looked and just green goggles talking about these guys left and right. And then they go somewhere else and they don't really fit in or it's not the same system. And, and I just, I think that that is a, is a good uh, it, it's a good indicator of Brad Stevens' ability to get the most out of his players, and then when they go somewhere else, they 
don't really play as well. So people think that they're no good or, or, or whatever. So on one hand, you would want to come to Boston, right, as a player and, and play for Brad Stevens. But on the other hand, if this is if this is something that becomes known and, and it actually pans out to be true and there's a real trend behind it someday, players may not want to come to Boston in, when they're younger anyway uh, because they wouldn't want to risk having to leave and look for look bad elsewhere. So this is a big stretch, obviously, and this is this right. is a very specific this is a very specific situation. But um, just look at the, the list of players: Bradley, Crowder, Evan Turner. These guys were they, they left Boston after looking really good under Stevens, and they don't look great right now. It does bring up an interesting sort of chicken of the egg argument. Uh, in regards to Brad Stevens uh, versus Danny Ainge in the sense that, like, are we sure that Danny Ainge just wins every trade that he does? Or or is is there maybe situations where, like, Brad Stevens is making it seem like he's winning every trade? Because whatever, yeah, whatever players end up with Brad Stevens are going to end up better off anyway. Maybe it doesn't even matter what Danny Ainge does. Maybe Danny Ainge can trade no, anybody on the it, team for anybody it, it else. Matter. It definitely matters what Danny Ainge does. You can't just bring in – I mean, he tried to bring in guys like Jordan, Mickey, blah, blah, blah. All these guys, Kelly Olenek, I mean, it, yeah, they looked better in Boston. But, I mean, that's – I don't think that's on Ainge. You still have to bring in some sort of a talented player. The guys we listed are all still playing somewhere. They're all still contributing, just not as, as much as they were before. So it's not like he's bringing in scrubs who Stevens turns into above-average players. He's bringing in – talented players who Stevens gets the most out of and then other coaches apparently don't or they struggle to get the most out of. If I, I don't know, if I was Danny Ainge, I would just one time I would do something like just, I would trade Al Horford for Omar Ashik just, just to show Brad Stevens what's up. You know what I mean? Just to show him who's boss. Oh yeah? You think you're so hot? See what you could do yeah. with this guy. Yeah, yeah, right. That's what I would do. Just one, one time. Let's see. And then if he, hey, then if he turns, if he turns Omar Ashik back into an All Star, then I, then I just resign and be like, look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the GM is. <laughs> doesn't matter who I, who I give this guy. He's a genius. No, um, but I do believe that Stevens it gets the most out of his players and their talent level, regardless, up and down the roster. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to look better in a system like this. And he's not the only coach that does that. That does this. I think Popovich is a good example of this. Uh, honestly, I think uh, Stan Van Gundy is a pretty good example of this, even though his teams haven't really been that great. I think, and he, does, he doesn't do it up and down the roster, but he does seem to get the most out of his players from, from time to time. I think he's been in a couple of tough situations, but I like what, what he has, has done in Detroit, especially uh, with Andre Drummond and just, making him look like one of the most confident players in the league. So, uh, I don't know. But speaking of confidence, that's another thing that I think might play into this whole Isaiah Thomas situation. Because after being in Boston and being praised like we were just talking about, his confidence is probably through the roof. He goes to Cleveland, and he's being told that he's second fiddle, third fiddle. You're not going to get the ball he clashes with the players that have already been there and won championships. Who knows what that does to to a guy's confidence after he thinks that he's so great. And that's got to be frustrating for him. So if he wanted out and, and that's part of this, then I don't blame him. Yeah, and, you know, there's, there's also a thing with him. 
wanting to come to Los Angeles. He's from Los Angeles. Uh, he wa- actually wanted to sign with the Lakers uh, when he was a free agent uh, with the Kings. But what happened was is the Lakers uh, had tied up their uh, free agency trying to chase big names, and Isaiah Thomas you know, ended up not being able to wait them out and sign that contract with the Suns. So it's, there is like an element of him. I'm sure. I'm sure it's not even like mostly LA. I'm sure it's mostly just relief at being out of that situation where the way he was unhappy. But there's certainly some relief coming to the Lakers side. I'll, I'll, let me get back to him in a couple of minutes because let me break this trade down from the Lake, from the Lakers perspective, right? So last week we had a show and we talked about the report that came out that the Lakers were shifting their free agents, uh, they're shifting their priorities to 2019. They're going to reassess, and I thought it was uh, a poor, poor thought, poorly thought out decision at the time because what happens in, in every single one of these situations is you you look a year and a half, as it is now, before 2019, like, like the, the report was, and they're like, right, and then you go, oh, yeah, Jimmy Butler's going to be a free agent. Kawhi Leonard's going to be a free agent. Clay Thompson's going to be a free agent. Yeah, but it's the same way it happens every time. You know who was going to be a free agent this year? It was Russell Westbrook, but he's not now. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you say when you look right. at a free agent these last a year and a half out, yeah, it looks like all these guys are going to be free agents, but most of them inevitably so, end up re-signing. So the notion of so like... So, Calvin, you, you, also back, said, you also said that, uh, that uh, it seemed like a smokescreen to you on one of the post-games. So maybe oh, yeah. that was our show. I can't oh, no, no, I did. I did say that. That's where I was going next. But for that that reason, and, and for numerous other reasons, I felt like I I said it felt like a smokescreen. It didn't make sense, especially especially the timing of it right before the trade deadline. It, and you you know what? Here's the thing. Look, Magic Magic Johnson and the, look, Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka are like they're evil geniuses. And here's why: because Magic's out there seeming like like the dumbest person in the world. I I hate to say this because I love Magic Jonathan, but it's like he, his Twitter account is just like he just gets constantly roasted for just making the most obvious comments at all times. Uh, I don't know if you saw that he got fined uh, fifty grand by the league for talking about uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, saying that Giannis will win a championship oh, in Milwaukee. Huh? Recently? Recently, yeah. It was like it was like ten days that. ago. That's awesome. Yeah, he got, so he got, he got fined for tampering for saying that Giannis is a great player and will win a title in Milwaukee. But the league is like so afraid of the notion of Magic. It's like Magic can't open his mouth without getting fined or like reprimanded in some way for tampering. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's also there's also another uh, another amazing quote from from Magic Johnson after the trade deadline where they asked him uh, if they asked him if the Lakers. Uh, tried to trade Lou Lou Aldine if they if they're gonna trade and then Magic just openly laughs he's like ha ha we wish right Rob like he, oh, he just buried his own player on his rock it's amazing it's amazing he just like openly laughs at this reporter's question he's like yeah we wish we could trade Lou Aldine's terrible contract so like this is this is who Magic is you know what I mean he's a guy who just like is completely transparent puts his foot in his mouth all the time and I don't know. Look, I don't know if, if like Palinka is secretly the mastermind about, behind this because the thing about Palinka is, is for, yeah, he looks like Rob Lowe. That's one thing. But the other thing is, this like, all his press conferences are like just chock full of Bible verses and like super cheesy like inspirational quotes. 
You know what I mean? But I have no idea. He was also, a, you know, a super agent. So I feel like he's a shark behind the scenes, but he's so goofy. And I, I guess my thought now, Marie, is that, that all of this is a smokescreen. Their entire persona is like, yeah, we're, we don't know what we're doing in this organization. We're dumb idiots. Because every trade they've made so far, they also traded D'Angelo De- Russell and, you know, got back Kyle Kuzma and... Uh, and got rid of the Moscow contract. So now they, they have the money for their two free agents. So then immediately after the trade deadline, they're like, yeah, we're going all in on 2018. So, yes, they, there's no question. It's like 100% fact that, it, that that other statement about them like refocusing on 2019 was a smokescreen. And it worked to perfection right. because – Well, so now, they, some, now people are going to catch on, right? But I guess it's too late so that people – yeah. teams are – doesn't matter if teams are, are not going to trade with the Lakers at this point, but they're still going all in on this season, and it, it remains to be seen whether free agents are actually going to go there. Well, okay, I'm, I have a, a thought on that in a second too, a fresh new thought. Um, but, but again, so Jordan Clarkson makes twelve million a year for the next three years. They they've been shopping him this entire time. Nance got thrown into that deal as like just just a sweetener to like get a team to take on Clarkson's contract, which is not even that bad. He's only making twelve million a year. But what but whatever. He's a guy off the bench. I understand why it would be somewhat difficult to move. So I thought you know, I thought they, it would be a situation where the Lakers would just sort of trade those contracts for a guy, you know, like Channing Fry and, and Amon Shepard is really what I thought was gonna happen, instead of it being Isaiah, which, you know, I definitely have thoughts on that, but uh, so I thought it was going to be sort of nothing, no no game for the Lakers this year scenario, but instead it's clearing that cap space, and so thus it's a win for the Lakers because those guys, you know, their minutes were, had been uh, been going down anyway. And think about Nance's, even though I like him, they have Kuzma and Randall already playing the same position, so he was playing like 15 minutes a game at this point. It's like they didn't right. they didn't really need him, you know what I mean? So. Somehow the, the Lakers not only pull that trade off with the Cavs, but they managed to get the Cavs' first-round draft pick out of that deal. How does that make sense? You, ju- you justified the, the trade earlier. It's, it's, tell me how these geniuses, Magic Johnson and Rob Polinka, managed to get a first-round draft pick out of Cleveland for players who aren't as good as the, uh, as the guys they got in the other trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I, aside aside from what I said earlier, I mean, I, I don't think there's much else. It's it's the the potential injury to Isaiah Thomas. It's the fact that Isaiah is being perceived as a, as a bit of a I don't know a I don't want to say a cancer in the locker room because I don't think he's that, but a a, a, a stubborn type of player that won't that won't conform. It looked like he was. Not that you need to conform, but when you're playing with LeBron James, you do. Um, it looked like he he just wasn't going to fit in. So I think the Lakers had that that they could hold over Cleveland's head. They knew that they wanted to make a deal. Um, plus, I I I think that they probably in Cleveland value Clarkson pretty highly. I, I, they must like what they see out of Clarkson. I mean, even though you you said that uh, that Nance sort of sweetens the deal, I just I don't buy that Larry Nance is going to be this this great player, and certainly not anywhere near the type of player that his father was. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll eat my words on that one too. I just I, I feel like Isaiah's situation warranted the fact that the Lakers could ask for the number one pick, and it, it's not the Brooklyn pick; it's the Cavs pick. So it's not going to be a great 
first round pick. It's going to be in the mid twenties. Um, but I think that they were right to ask for that. And that, I mean, it's not that it's not like a swindle or anything like that. I just think that the the perception of Isaiah around the league forced the Cavs to have to do something like that. Well, Nance is also under contract for two more years after this one on his, on his rookie deal for like the 27th pick. Uh, side note, the Lakers are surprisingly good at drafting late first rounders. It's like if there's this scouting team that's like the last couple of years has really hit on some feud. Clarkson himself is like uh, a mid-second round pick. He was like the 40th pick in the draft. So just for those two guys, like those two guys alone to get that return, I I feel great about it. Um yeah. Well, I mean, if you're looking at more status, Isaiah was the last pick in the second round. Yeah, for the Kings. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not like the Kings are the ones who made out in that situation. Uh, in, in any case, Roy, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So it, it, it's even more fascinating to me that the Cavs essentially traded the Lakers enough space to then sign LeBron and Paul George, makes it more likely that LeBron's going to leave them, which he's probably going to leave them anyway. But it just it just gives him another option when he really didn't have that many options, and maybe Cleveland was thinking, like, hey, there's a chance that he just won't have a better situation than the one he has right here. I don't understand why they would create that situation with the Lakers specifically when they could have done a deal for a Clarkson equivalent player for any number of teams. Um, I would like to know what those number of teams are. Okay. Um, they could have they could have done a deal with the Grizzlies and got Evans. You know, Evans and Jermichael Green. I, I'd, honestly, I'd rather have Clarkson, especially if they're bringing in George Hill. And, and I mean, they're going to at some point need another ball handler. I don't really look at Tyreek Evans as that as a point guard. He's more of a of that hybrid two three. And I, I honestly, neither is George. I like I like Clark, Clarkson better than Evans anyway. So oh, that's interesting. I know. Yeah, um, I like. having a good year. Yeah, but he doesn't have the he doesn't have the three point range that Evans says at this point, and he's not he's not as good of a passer as Evans. In any case, but if if the point is that you're trying to win now and get younger with guys that are going to yeah. entice LeBron to stay, I don't think Tyreek Evans is the is the guy to do that. Okay. So you would give the Cavaliers a better grade in that trade than I would, it sounds like. Would you still, but do you yeah. agree with me that the Lakers sort of hit their home run, right? The Lakers have set themselves up to hit their home run. They're, they have not hit their home run yet. They've got a they've got a, a 2-2 count here, or a 2-1 count coming here. They've got a couple more pitches left, I think, that they've got to see before we decide whether they hit their home run yet. They, they've set themselves <laughs> up. They've opened four. But I mean, this—they still have to sign the free agents, Calvin. And that's where I think that, that you're you're uh, overvaluing the franchise a little bit and overvaluing the the status of your roster. And I mean, you can't just add these these two superstars and expect to be able to compete with the Golden States and the San Antonios and the Houston's of the Western Conference. It's just not going to happen that way. I don't I don't think it is anyway. And so I, I feel like it, it's great position to be in. They've set themselves up. You should be excited as a fan, but you're, you're, it sounds to me like you're treating it as a guarantee that they're going to have some big splash in free agency. And I'm just, I don't see it yet. No, I'm, I'm not treating it that way, but, but here's the thing I can about the cap space, right? I, especially in, in this particular market. Yes. The Lakers are going to go after LeBron and Paul George. And to me, 
so whether or not, look, whether they get Paul George and LeBron or not, there is the, uh, the value in having the ability to go for it. Because I, if you're saying that this Laker team, which, yeah, before losing to Dallas, oh, we'll, we'll get to that, uh, the, you know, had won 14 out of Adam 18, uh, had the second-best defense in the NBA, first in rebounding uh, in, in this period of time, with, again, you know, Ingram and Kuzma, and, you know, Lonzo hasn't played for a while, Randall, all young players playing well. If you're saying if, if I add LeBron and Paul George to that situation, like that team can't compete for a championship or LeBron like looks at that roster with Paul George as well and says, yeah, I'd rather stay in Cleveland I, or, or like go to one of these other situations, you know, you, you have the Rockets uh, again, which like the Rockets would have to get their team in a way that m- maybe they do it for LeBron, but like, I'm not saying that LeBron would go to any of those teams. I'm saying that, Le- that LeBron and Paul George, to me, do not put them over the Golden States, the Houstons, the San Antonios of the Western Conference. I think that, that if LeBron is going to, to play with the, uh, Paul George in Los Angeles with the Lakers, that he is better off staying in Cleveland because even though he doesn't have that second superstar in Cleveland – he does have a, a nice young roster, and it basically, basically was what the Lakers just had. And I and I, I think that maybe that's the way that Cleveland is thinking about this as well. That their young players, they probably like their younger players better than than, than the Lakers' young players. And I just yeah, that, with the Western Conference being so difficult, I don't look at Paul George and LeBron James as a team that's going to be any better than what Oklahoma city is right now. Look at them. They've got three superstar players and they're, they're in fifth place behind Minnesota of all teams right now. So just the way thing, and we'll see what, how everything shakes out at the end of the season, but on paper, I still put those top three golden state, Houston and San Antonio ahead of a LeBron, Paul George, Los Angeles Laker team. I mean, I'm not even sure that, uh, I'm not even sure that San Antonio is three, but that's sort of taking us off into a completely different tangent, right? But uh, well, I'm yeah, just thinking about the Kawhi Leonard yeah. back and, and all of that. That well, we'll see if he comes back. But the, and the, right, the thing about uh, that's all, it, it, yeah, so that's it, getting too deep into the weeds right now. We're, I'm, no, I'm looking right. just at right, but my point is teams but that's, that's fine. But, but if you want if you want to add LeBron and Paul George again, who are both great defenders, to this team full of Lakers players who are pretty good individual defenders ac- across the board. And if you think, if you think that the Cavaliers uh, support staff, like are, are better right now than the, the Lakers plus Paul George, like that, that's an insane notion to me. Maybe your East West thing is like a, a small point, but like LeBron is definitely going to a better team. If he goes to the Lakers with Paul George next season, especially that's not even factoring in any improvements from, uh, from Ingram and, and Lonzo and Kuzma. But, that's, but that's fine. And Randall, by the way, who's turned himself into quite a player this year. But yeah, that's Randall's neither here nor there. I'll, I'll take, like, basically any of those four over George Hill, who's the, maybe not uh, – maybe not – Randall and George Hill are, equal, are, are similar, but the other three I'll definitely take over George Hill. But, but I mean, are you factoring in Kevin Love still as well? Like, don't forget about him. He's, he's hurt. Well, but, that's he's, fine, I mean, but George is better, George is better than Love, So. That that takes away that element of it. You know what I mean? For LeBron James, I think that's debatable. I'm I'm not so sure. I think I think Paul George has shown that he can defer to other guys this season, but he still at some point is going to need to be that big scorer. Kevin Love is is one of those spot up shooters at this point who also rebounds well and passes really well. 
I think he's a better fit for LeBron James than Paul George. I feel like George is, is, is too similar to LeBron. And I, just, I don't but know. How I, many, just, right, we do post game shows all the time where like, everyone always tells me what a terrible defender Kevin Love is. Paul George is one of the best defenders in the, in, in the NBA. Yeah. He's on the Absolutely. No, you're right. On that side of the ball, you're yeah. definitely right. Um, in, in, all right. So I don't even. I look. Look. All. All that being said, Rory. All that. Look. All that doesn't matter, because let's, Again, like I said last time. Let's. The, the point is, is that the Lakers now have sixty million dollars in cap space in a scenario where the the team with the second most cap space in, in the NBA going into the offseason, I, I believe, is the Sixers, with like twenty five. So, let's look. There's going to be a lot of free agents out there. And again, there's there's not enough money to go around. The cap is already being squeezed because of, of 2015, like we already discussed, right? Paul George and, and LeBron James like both decide to go somewhere else, and the Lakers, so the Lakers say, okay, we're going to roll it over to 2019, or or they say, you know what, we'll we'll have enough cap space for one superstar free agent in 2019. What's to stop them from signing three guys with with the the cap space for the other superstar players at super reasonable rates? One, like, who's to say by this time next season the Lakers won't have three guys under Jay Crowder-esque contract? And if, and if that's the case, then this trade was still worth it. You know what I mean? Oh, I, it's not an all-or-nothing. It's not an all-or-nothing situation for the Lakers. They're they're not going to look. The Lakers are not going to you know based on their their talent and the fact that they're, that they're getting better. They're not going to fall back uh, to being the worst team in the NBA again next year, regardless. So like. I don't, I don't see this value in like what, like oh, what are they supposed to do? They're going to slowly get better anyway. They might as well sign guys who are good on cheap contracts because then you, then you have like you know seven or eight guys to try to entice Jimmy Butler instead of just like, oh well, we've got one, you know, we we've got this young team. Well, yeah, we have we have a young team, but then we also have, you know, we also have we signed away Rodney Hood on his free agent contract at you know nine million a season because he's not signing with the Cavaliers again probably right they're over the cap anyway so they're not they're basically not resigning him no matter what unless Le- LeBron somehow stays there so like worst case scenario if the Lakers play their cards right this cap space is worth it no matter what so I I, I don't see look unless they make a terrible decision with that space even if they sign a guy to like a you know. They overpay a guy like they did with Brook Lopez this year for a one-year deal. That's not even a big deal to me because then you you like got a guy that you might have wanted and you're you're preserving the space for the next year anyway. As long as they don't mess this up, it, there's no way this is a bad deal. Is what I'm telling you. All right. So you're trying to tell me that the okay. Lakers are back and back. that everybody yeah. should be afraid. Well, yeah. And you know you know what, Ray? Yeah. I didn't even get to, I didn't even get to my little Paul George quote. Have you heard? Yeah. So, we're, we're, you know, we've been talking about Paul George, and he's been talking about how much he loves Russell Westbrook. Uh, uh-huh. you know, he, was, he was asked by Sam Amick of USA Today about his free agency. Uh, did you did you happen to hear this quote? Because uh, I'm, I'm going to read it if you haven't, no. if you haven't heard it. No. So he said, uh, you know, they asked him, uh, they asked him if he was happy. And he said, well, I mean, I'm happy here. He said, I'm happy here. I'm happy with this group. At the end of the season... It's still on my decision to do, on what I need to do for my family. That has nothing to do with my happiness here, though. I've been really happy. It's a great organization to be a part of. But again, you know, I don't want people looking oh, at this and saying, like, hey, he said it's his happiness at the end of the day, so he's definitely resigning. I don't know if I'm going to L.A. or what I'm doing, but I can say I'm happy here. I'm happy with Russ, happy with Melo and this organization. Now, does that, sound, does that sound like a guy who is going to re-sign in Oklahoma City? Or does it sound like he's ready to bounce to L.A.? 
Because I, I listen no, to it. No, it doesn't, doesn't sound like either one. It doesn't sound like either one. He's trying to hedge his bets yeah, here. You're right. And last, the last quote that he had sounded like he was going to be sticking around in Oklahoma City. This one sounds closer to Los Angeles. I, listen, if, if they make a big push in the playoffs, I mean, unless, unless he's really serious about the whole family thing and his wife is pushing him to move to Los Angeles and she doesn't want to be in Oklahoma City, if they make a, a big push to the Western Conference Finals or something like that, you really think he's just going to walk away from that? He never had that in Indiana. And there's no guarantee that that's going to happen in, in, in Los Angeles. Speaking of Paul George's family, did you know that his wife and kids already live here now? These kids are enrolled in, in school in Los Angeles right now. They're in high school right now, night school as we speak. They're going to school okay, right so now. Okay, so then what does it matter? So, if he's doing it now then and it's a better place for his career and he's going to be able to win, I mean, that's got to be a factor. <laughs> and if not, then this guy is not, is not the, uh, the, the player that I thought he was, I guess. He, I'm sure he wants to win, Calvin. You're right. He, he does want to win. But so if you, know, so you come to Los Angeles with someone else via the max contract space the Lakers have, or even with a couple of guys that he likes, then he's probably coming to – if that's his choice – if it's choice of staying in Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook, let's say you're Paul George, okay? I give you a choice. Stay in uh, – just, just straight up right now, you're Paul George. Do you think you're more likely to win a championship in, in Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook, okay? Not even factoring in, L, you know, the value of L.A. for George, where he's from and all that, which obviously tips the scales even further, or going to L.A. with LeBron, which they would work out clearly ahead of time before either one of them signed. Like – you're sure. telling me he's going to think, hey, I have a better chance to win in Oklahoma City with Westbrook in a, in a team that's already capped out versus, versus this Lakers team who's got better role players at this point and LeBron. That's what you're If they go to the Western Conference Finals this season, you think that he's going to say that he would rather just walk away? You think he's going to pull Kevin Durant and just walk away? I mean, it's not, he's not going to play with Ke- Steph Curry and, and Green and, and Thompson up in Golden State. He's going to play with LeBron no, and a bunch LeBron. of young guys. Against right, LeBron, yeah, LeBron, LeBron and a bunch of guys against against two or three teams that are already st- st- uh, stacked with studs and proven that they are the ones that you have to go through. You can't just piece something. This is not going to be the 2008 Celtics where they got lucky in the Eastern Conference and put together three excellent players, headlined by Kevin Garnett, who really drove things home and changed the culture immediately. This is going to be Paul George and LeBron James trying to get to know each other. Look at what happens in Cleveland when LeBron it doesn't like what, what's happening or uh, the, the coach is no good or he's, just, he's, he's upset about something. They go into a tailspin. They don't always win. And, it's, it, yeah, they've gotten to the Eastern Conference, but you are talking about this like it's a foregone conclusion that the Lakers are going to be a one or two seed the first year that these guys get there, and it's, you can't – you can't do that. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen that way. No, no. I did. First of all, I didn't say they'd be a one or two seed. What I said was that the Lakers That's with LeBron and Paul George are a better cut team decision because he's going to have a better chance of winning Los Angeles. Yeah. The, oh, no, no. The, look, look. This Lakers team right now, okay, with Paul George and LeBron, is better than this year's Oklahoma City team. That's a fact. There's no. There's yeah, I mean, that's obviously not a fact because it's speculation. No, but I don't know but how you can even think Oklahoma City is, is a solid team. They're, they're right in the, in the thick of things right now. It's, it's not like they're yeah, but, missing the playoffs. They are just no, no, getting not, themselves to right. 
it's not like the Lakers would be missing the playoffs either. Look, look no, certainly not. The, but the I mean, Warriors and the, wait, wait, the Warriors and the Rockets are ten games up on anybody else in the West. Those other teams, Oklahoma City is not as good as you think. They're bunched in with a bunch of other teams. They're they're like, uh, you know, three games, two games out of the eight seed right now, and you know, two games out of the three seed. All those teams are all essentially the same right now. If you're telling me the Lakers with Paul George and LeBron, like, wouldn't be as in that same mix with with those other teams. No, I, I I disagree with you, and if and you have a point in the sense that, but I, I think you have to you have to stretch it further because going to the conference finals for the Thunder is not enough. They have to go to the conference finals and push the Warriors. If they go to the conference finals and lose to the Warriors in five games, then you, the point about you making Paul George wanting to run it back is then irrelevant because it's still going to feel like they're not close. So it's you know what I mean. If, if it's a sure. seven-game series where sure. Seth Curry like no, you know, hits two the threes hypothetical at, at the end of the game, and, and, what's that? Good in Oklahoma City. I'm sorry, you cut out. No, the hypothetical is that they look good enough in Oklahoma City to win the thing because they have right. Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony and Stephen Adams, who is a, is a player that is the type of guy that will step up in, in a finals and win you a finals here or there. And I just I look at the Lakers roster, and yes, you have some good young talent with Lonzo Ball, terrible shooter, and guys like Ingram and Kuzma, but I just I don't think that's any better than Carmelo Anthony and Steven Adams and and uh, Russell Westbrook, even if you throw LeBron Carmelo, James. Carmelo Anthony. So I, it's I think it's if Oklahoma City goes and pushes the 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 Warriors then Paul George is going to have a very difficult decision to make, and you're just making it sound like because the Lakers have the, the cap space and LeBron's going to be able to walk away too, then the two of them are just going to – you have them in the, in the Lakers' pocket. And you say, no, I'm not talking like that, but you are. You're, you're, you're saying that you're very confident this is going to happen. I just don't, I don't think it's going to be that easy. It's, it's not the snap of a finger that you're making it out to be. No, well, like, like I told you, look, you know, I'm looking at the numbers right now, first of all, and, uh, like, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony can fall off a cliff at any moment. Like, he's already, he's, he's not having a good year shooting-wise. Uh, I would, you know, I think, I, he's having an okay year defensively, but I don't think he's really that good defensively. Like, I would take several Lakers over Carmelo right now, other than the fact that he's Carmelo, right? Other than, other than the name, like, I don't, Stephen Adams, you, you have a good point about, but, but again, that's all, all of this is just looking at the teams and ignoring the fact that he, that Paul George would clearly rather live in Los Angeles than live in Oklahoma City. So sure. all things being equal, he's picking Los Angeles. And you're also ignoring the fact that uh, Oklahoma City is a notoriously cheap organization that would have to go into the luxury tax just to sign Paul George, which would essentially cap that That's as true. their team for the next several years, right? And so Paul George is going to be aware of that also. And they, they might not even offer him the same kind of max. Like, maybe they will, but, but you know, maybe they won't because they're already paying Russell Westbrook the super max. They're in a situation where it, it would be difficult for them to even justify that from the Oklahoma City side if they don't go to the finals and, I'm sorry, the the conference finals and do what you talked about earlier. So we'll even see on that end how, like, if they try to lowball him at all to it to any number. Well, you know, you know what I mean. All of these things are factors in my mind, like pushing him towards Los Angeles. No, I'm not saying it's a fact that it's going to happen, but I, I, I already told you why. Like, it doesn't. It it matters obviously for the good of the Lakers, but if it doesn't happen, it can that trade could still be a tremendous win for the Lakers. Sure. I, it's not that I think it's a lock. It's just it makes I think that it's it's 
over 50% that he comes to Los Angeles. That's, that's what I'm telling you. And I don't, I don't feel like you feel the same way, and that's fine. All right. 60, well, 40 LA. 60, 40 LA. Let's let's continue. Let's let's just move on then and continue with this okay. Lakers situation. And let, let's talk about Isaiah on the Lakers because we touched on Isaiah and the and the trade sending him over there. And I can't imagine that they would even consider bringing him back next year. And I don't think that he wants to be there either. But I think that both sides need to make the most of the situation. So I'm curious to see how things go. Uh, Luke Walton has already come out and actually praised Isaiah's switching defense, even though he's the smallest guy on the floor in that Dallas game the other night. So uh, what's uh, your take on Isaiah on the Lakers? I know that you're you, initially you don't really like it, but is there a way that you can find some, some mutual success here having uh, this guy on your team? Okay, Ray, I, I'm, I'm going to try. I mean, I, I'm still going to be this guy, but take – Keep keep these these takes with a, with a grain of salt of the notion that, again what we talked about with Cleveland the Lakers have played one game with Isaiah Thomas right but yeah but you've been watching game, Isaiah for a long time on Boston you've seen him many many yeah. times you know what his game is like and you can imagine what or how he's going to fit in with what you've seen from the Lakers so far this year especially in the last couple of weeks when they actually went on a pretty good run right well and and unlike you I'm not convinced that we're going to see Boston Isaiah before the end of this season. I just think when you have, look, when you have a hip injury, to, to my mind, like hip injury is not going to get improved by playing basketball. Like, you get a, you improve a hip injury by rest, by resting. Right. I can't. I'm yeah, like, that's I, true. I don't see the scenario where like, you you don't play a hip back into shape. You know what I mean? Like that's not how that works. Like he's going to be dealing with pain the rest of the season and probably not be back to himself. You know, if he is back to himself. In, until the start of next season, in, at which time he's extremely unlikely to be on the Lakers. So, I yeah. So in, in that respect, I don't I don't necessarily think that we're going to get the Boston Isaiah back. But even even if we did, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Isaiah in Boston, and he was great in Boston as you know somebody who did post game shows where he just he put on amazing performances time and again. Yeah, I watched him, and yeah, I did watch him him play. You know terrible defense some of the time, but I always felt like he was hustling and, and still trying. He was just overmatched in a way, again, in, in one game, but also factoring yep. in like what was happening in Cleveland. I didn't feel that I, I have not felt that way about him this season. I've seen too mm-hmm. many clips of him, you know, in, on the Cavs, just standing there, like not moving his feet at all as someone like dribbles past him for, well, uh, you okay. know, on the three-point line. With, he just essentially feet rooted to the floor. I'm sorry, what were you He has. No, he's, yeah. he's, he certainly has done that. But I think that's, that's a mindset in Cleveland. I think LeBron James has been caught doing that many times this season, and other guys on that team have as well. And that, Isaiah spoke to that as far as diving for loose balls and guys not getting on the floor yeah. and people were doing it in Boston. So, I mean, I don't watch many Laker games, but I feel like yeah. the Lakers have more hustle than Cleveland in general anyway throughout the regular season. So maybe Isaiah will fit in better over there. So here's the thing. I, I like I, I told you before the Lakers had the second best defense in the NBA over the last 18 games. Uh, you know, before this game, that's going to change when Isaiah arrives. But uh, but before this game, the, here's the problem. The, the, the thing about the Lakers is they're all look, the Lakers are like the, the Lakers are giants. 
the Lakers have the, the, the biggest team in the NBA in terms of height. Brandon Ingram, who's been playing point guard since Lonzo has been hurt, and has actually like really helped with, with this development. He's a really underrated passer. But he's seven feet tall. He's the same height, the exact same size as Kevin Durant, except skinnier. Skinnier version of Kevin Durant. Right? He's the point guard. Evan, the, the Lakers team, Josh Hart is their smallest starter. Uh, right now with Lonzo out, and he's 6'5 with a 6'8 wingspan. Lonzo is 6'6, 6'6 point guard. Everyone on the team, the Lakers team is huge. They switch everything. The Lakers, how, how the Lakers play defense, they switch everything, okay, and it doesn't matter because everyone can sort of guard anybody else. Uh, even Brooke Lopez is having a good year defensively, and it's managed to sort of cover space on the, on the perimeter pretty well. But the Lakers play a lot of small ball with Randall at center, who can also switch on to anybody and is one of the, one of the strongest players in the NBA. But by the way, it's, it's been really enjoyable to watch Randall this season because he essentially plays like Shaq. Like, we throw him the ball in the post. But then, it, it's, it, unlike Shaq, who's, I, I sort of was aesthetically displeased by his, his style because it seemed like he was bullying smaller dudes. Randall is, like, oftentimes not as big as the dudes guarding him but somehow he's so much stronger than him than them that he just throws them off as he's going up for shots. He gets all sorts of offensive fouls because he's just like throwing people back. But it's not like he's not even that. It's not like he has a Sullinger sort of butt. He's just like extremely strong in a compact body. It's so it's fascinating to me to watch the like the, the geometry of it. Anyway, so we've only got twenty minutes left, and, but so we don't really need to get into it that that much. Okay. But tell me why? No, no, why did fine, nobody? Why, why did nobody want want Julius Randle? That's what I want to know. You're you're talking yeah. about him like he's a pretty solid player, and I think he is, and that he's going to be a good player in this league. But his name was also dangled in trade talks, and nobody bit. So what what's the deal with that? They wanted. I think I think they wanted too much for him. They wanted it first. Anyway. Um, oh, that's it. Okay. So back to Isaiah. So the point is, this Boston's defense was made up of smaller guys. Especially last year, what we're talking about. Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, okay, Rozier to a lesser extent last year because he didn't play as much. So how do they hide Isaiah defensively last year? They put a ton of pressure on the ball handlers, right? They trapped all the time with him out on the floor. They created a crazy amount of turnovers with Isaiah on the floor, got him in the, yeah. out in open space. As a, as a secondary double-team man, he's, he's fine he can, because he's quick. He can rotate back out to some whoever else. And, yeah, he's sure. still a bad individual defender, and he's still got caught you need in situations to, in Boston. Yeah, but with their speed, you need they to play cater the to him on defense. Is what you need yeah. to do, and Cleveland's not willing to do that because the anchor of their defense is LeBron James, and I don't think he wants to run a trapping defense with these older players right. where they're running back and forth and trying to fill holes and, and cut through – passing lanes like the Celtics players were doing and still are doing. Right, but but this, this speaks to my point about the Lakers. The Lakers have been good on defense because they're tall and long and gangly. They, but they're, you, know what, you know the other thing about them is they're dumb. They're, all, they're young. They make rotation mistakes all the time, but they have extremely long arms. They get blocks from behind. They, so, I, so I saw it immediately. Isaiah Thomas comes into this game this, this Mavericks game, and they don't know what to do because they, because they have to double-team. They haven't double-teamed guys all year. They have to double-team constantly. They even leave Isaiah out in an island against somebody who can go by him because it's either rooted to the floor or just shoot over the top of him, or they send a hard double and their rotations are terrible because they're not, they're not instinctive yet. They're still young. They, they don't play that kind of defense. So it, like, it, and their, their rebounding advantage, again, uh, best in the NBA – 
during this time period, it's, it's also been nullified because they're giving it, they're all out of position and they're giving up easy offensive rebounds by guys who aren't being boxed out because the secondary man has to rotate to help Isaiah all the time. He yep. just wrecks their defense so horribly. It That's makes not even sense. The fact, wow. again, yeah. So in that one it's game, funny because people uh, people tend to say that Isaiah is the one that's, that that makes defenses bad, but I, I guess it really co- goes back to and again I don't want to keep patting Brad Stevens on the back and making him sound like he's the savior of everything, but it goes back to coaching and I think some coaches are better at at getting their players to buy in than others and I think. Uh, that the Lakers will figure it out because they've got a few weeks, and they, especially with the All-Star break. I, Luke Walton, to me, has seemed to be a pretty good coach. So I believe that the, the, once they can actually get a few games under their belt, they might actually get this this change in, in defense. Uh, but th- that's mean, something that needs needs to happen on the fly, and it didn't happen for, for Cleveland for a, a month, and that's why they pulled the trigger, part of the reason anyway. But like you said earlier, even Brad Stevens' impact is only so much. Yeah. If you remember, last year the Celtics' defense wasn't actually that good. They were like 17th or 18th in the NBA, and the numbers said, like, when Isaiah was on the floor, yeah, they, they, you know, they ended up being a, a net positive, but it, it had largely to do with how well he was offensively. De- defensively, they were they, not getting torched, but they were slightly below average. They were just, they, you know what I mean? And look, just getting rid of Isaiah and switching to Kyrie, also not even known as that good of a defender, but when you compare to Isaiah, you know, the year he's having is like, much obviously Tatum and Brown help um, just, and you know Rochier, I mean, but listen just just having the extra ten inches in wingspan is a huge yeah. deal in the NBA. Yeah, ten inches for a point guard. And yeah, anyway, the point is, it's like he fits in horribly with the Lakers. So, but so he had this one game, and even that, I'm like, okay, that's fine. You bring him off the bench, he's instant offense. I I can live with that, Rory, except for the fact that. Luke Walton treated him like he was, like immediately, like he was Boston Isaiah Thomas. Like they, they gave him so much respect. Before he came to the Lakers, his agent tweeted Rachel Nichols and said, Isaiah Thomas is going to start in all caps. Like, so that immediately puts me off, right? Isaiah comes to the Lakers, sure. uh, goes into the second quarter, Making demands. you know, hits, hits some catch and shoot threes, which I thought, oh, cool. He was like passing in the second quarter. He was, he was sort of involving the offense. He let Ingram run the point in that quarter and was sort of playing off ball, which is like exactly what he needs to do right now with his hip. And that's sort of when he scored all his points in the second quarter run. He made four threes. And I was like, oh, well, maybe this is not going to be a problem. And then came the fourth quarter where he tried to beat King in the fourth immediately. Luke Walton played him the entirety of the fourth quarter, which I still don't understand why, even though, again, uh, takes away from the, the development of Ingram as a point, takes away from the development of Josh Hart because – He's playing all of Hart's minutes now. Hart played 15 minutes. Even though, you know, he's only started for a couple games, and he's been awesome in those games. Takes away from that, plays the entire fourth, commits five fouls in the fourth quarter, and it's just taking an ax to the Lakers' defense over and over again. And even that would be fine. You know, you can have a bad first game. But then he comes out afterward and doesn't interview the, the Lakers' lost the game to the Mavericks by 10 and was so terrible. <laughs> he comes out in this interview and he says, I feel like I got my powers back. Like, how am I not supposed to be upset by that? You can't say that in a 10-point loss in which you had five fouls in a quarter, scored two points in the fourth quarter, and you were a disaster. How, how am I supposed to be cool with that? Uh, I, I wouldn't be cool with that. Your powers don't seem to be back. I mean, yeah, maybe you, you played well in the second quarter, but and maybe you feel like they're giving you the free reign that you, you believe you deserve, but that, I mean, that doesn't mean you're back to 100%. 
I think if his confidence is back, that's a good thing, and you might see results sooner than you think. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not a great reaction to a 10-point loss. Right. You should be, like, disappointed. You should be like, yeah, you know, I felt a little better out there. Um, I'm sorry, you know, I, too bad we couldn't get the win, but I'm, I'm working my way. Like, I don't know. It's just a complete lack of humility. and Not even lack of humility, but, like, lack of concern for the loss. And, and more concern for, like, your bottom line numbers, even though, again, like I said, he committed 5,000 a quarter. I don't think you can say that you had a good game if you commit 5,000 in the fourth quarter. I don't know. That's, that's just me. But it's just like a just lack of self, self-awareness with him now. And I saw it's a little bit in Cleveland. I saw it too. And it's just carrying over the Lakers, which make, it's making me turn on this guy, Ray. I don't want to hate him, but he's not, he's not making it easy for me. Already turning on him. I think he just felt good because he was, he had 22 points. He was seven of 12 in that game. He had four, three pointers. He doesn't care about the fouls. Even he doesn't care about that he that he turned the ball over six times in that game, Calvin. Um, he yeah. just felt like they gave him the minutes and that he knocked down shots. And while he should be happy with that and confident that it's going to continue and that it's going to work out and things are going to go well for him and the Lakers for the rest of the season, he didn't acknowledge any of the stuff that you just did that he did poorly. So that's where you you should have some concern. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's just. But that's, that's, you're going to come to know that that's, that's just who he is. He's always just going to be talking about the positive. He's, he's going to try and stay positive. He's never going to acknowledge the bad things, uh, even though it, he did in Cleveland. But that, to me, is because he was not in a good mood. He didn't want to be there. If he wants to be in Los Angeles, you're going to have to <laughs> allow him to ignore the, the, the negative stuff because that's just the, the way that it's going to be, I think. Hi, Rory, and, and audience members. I know we, you know, we went a little more on in on the Lakers than like normal, and I, Heavy. I appreciate everyone for sort of letting me indulge my thoughts. You know what? I, but I, you know of what? Course. I spent a lot of time talking about your guys' teams too, so uh, I think it's all fair, the time, right? It's a free, yeah. No, no, of it's course. Hey, we do this show. What I don't know. Let's say thirty times a year, and maybe twice we have a focus on the Lakers. And uh, you got that tonight, so we'll see when it happens again. Well, next year it'll be happening quite a bit. Anyway, great. <laughs> uh, let's turn back to this to a quick Boston story. Uh, did you see this tweet from the, the Boston Police Department? I'm sure you did. I'm sure it's probably been a topic over there, right? I'm just going to yeah, read it real quick. Talking about it. Yeah, people are definitely talking about it around here. Yeah, in honor of Black History Month, we pay tribute to Celtics legend Red Auerbach for being the first NBA coach to draft a black player in 1950, field an all-African-American starting five in 1964, and hire the league's first African-American, African-American coach, uh, in, in uh, parentheses, Bill Russell, in 1966. Like, do you think that the guy who, here's what I want to know, the guy who wrote this tweet out originally, do you think that he had any, self, any self-awareness with this? <laughs> Um, probably not. I mean, I, so I I can see where the intention is and it, it, you just, I don't know why. Look, so there's a bronze statue of Red Auerbach in Faneuil Hall, which is like, I don't know, uh, 200 yards from Boston or from, from the garden where the Celtics play. And if you go further up towards, uh, the sort of central area where city hall is, 
there is a statue of Bill Russell. They sent out a picture of Red Auerbach's statue with a BPD, Boston Police Department, hat on it and then and had that tweet accompanying it. They could have taken a 10-minute walk, not even 10 minutes, I'm sorry, like a three-minute walk up to the Bill Russell statue and taken the picture of his statue and still mentioned Red Auerbach in the tweet if they wanted to and had a better reaction to it. They, they just, it seems like they didn't really think this one through. And um, I'm not the one to speak about being offended by it or anything like that, of course. I can just speak to what I've heard from uh, a couple of prominent African-American media members. Stephen A. Smith was disgusted, and he was. it sounded like he was talking for all black people. But on the other hand, Cedric Maxwell, who played in this city and interacted with Red Auerbach, and Bill Russell, and was brought up through all of this this situation, uh, was not offended by it at all, and it actually was more offended by the fact that people were trying to be so politically correct that they were uh, missing the the real message behind things, which is to acknowledge a man in Red Auerbach that actually helped pave the way for black people in the NBA, and the league now is prominently, predominantly black, 80%, something like that. I don't have the exact number in front of me. But the, the point was not to say, look at Red Auerbach. He's the, he's the one that did it. Good. Get, let's give him the credit. I think it was more to, to just use him as an example to show the progress that has been made. And there's a couple different ways to look at it. If people are offended, by all means, they have every right to be. But I wouldn't have gone that direction, I don't think. And I see what the intent was. They apologized for it after the fact. I just think that they could have thought it out a little bit better and gone about the wording of it much better and still been able to get their point across. Yeah, I I agree with that notion of it. I think it's it's, it's really that the, the sentence, we paid, in honor of Black History Month, we pay tribute to blank a white person. It's That's never right. going to go over well. You know, no, of course like not. In, in, in any situation like that, and, and that to me is understandable. You know, like it's Black History Month. You can't, especially when when you have Bill Russell, who was who like in this tweet as as an afterthought was the NBA's first African American head coach. You know what I mean? Like this, like you said, this tweet could well, have easily been so, like this. In, this, is, this is another thing about uh, social media and the world today is that ever even though. It looks like Bill Russell's an afterthought here. They had already had a couple of different tweets earlier in the month uh, specifically directed towards Bill Russell and and the the things that he's done for the community and uh, African-Americans in general. So it's not like he was an afterthought to them as far as Black History Month is concerned. But, yes, in this one specific moment in this tweet, it looked like they were emphasizing Red Auerbach as opposed to Bill Russell or Chuck Cooper or the other three guys that were in that starting five that were all African-Americans at the time. They could have named those guys instead of Red Auerbach. They, they could have had a succession of tweets. They could have said, and, and, and you know what? It's not just Red Auerbach. Walter Brown is the one that drafted Chuck Cooper and Chuck Cooper, Charles Cooper, the third Chuck Cooper's son is on record of speaking very highly of Walter Brown and giving him a lot of credit for uh, the progress that 
black people were able to make in the NBA. So, yeah, white people might deserve, specific white people might deserve credit for that stuff, but talk about the other guys first, the ones that took the opportunity that was given to them and really ran with it and made it possible for other people to follow in their footsteps. Sure, somebody else may have opened the door for them, but they're the ones that walked through that door and really showed everybody else that it was possible and paved the way for thousands and and hundreds of thousands of people after them. Yeah. And I I think it's just the, you know, black history month itself was sort of created uh, to contradict the notion that like that, you know, history has historically been uh, written by the, the, the people in power. And so, you know, uh, minorities sort of have always felt like, white people have sort of created history and, and written it in their image and black history with this sort of uh, partially designed to bring attention to that fact and the, the, you know, the accomplishments that black people have done historically as well. So for the Boston Police Department to then, even, you know, as part, like you said, the point you made about it, about them paying tribute to Bill Russell in uh, many other tweets beforehand is, is a fair one that I had actually had not considered, but I just think it's probably offensive to people who sort of feel like they've been marginalized historically to, to even get a tribute at all from it under the auspices of honoring black history month when it's sort of contradictory to the notion of black history month itself. No, you're right. And it, it, it probably would have behooved them to just leave red and Walter Brown out of it and focus on all the other guys. They could have saved their 140 characters or 280 characters for, the names of the other players. So definitely not thought out very well. And uh, social media manager is, is a, is a pretty important gig nowadays, pretty much whatever organization you're in. So um, it's, it's crazy that, that people the, just the way people react to things that they see on Twitter. I've had to delete Great. a tweet or two this year. The uh, the Cavaliers are up ten in Oklahoma City. I think it's a wrap. I think I think we can say the Cavaliers are indeed back, and they are going to the finals. Not only that, but now Paul now. George obviously wants to leave Oklahoma City for Los Angeles with LeBron. He's probably talking to him about it right now. Well, I spent way too much time ranting about the Lakers, so we, we don't really have time for any of this baseball stuff. But I am curious, uh-huh. what do you think about David Price sort of like humbling himself? And going going back to the Red Sox and saying, yeah, you know what, I was kind of a jerk last year. It's like, can yeah. you forgive me? He had some some choice words to say. I mean, he he still referred to Farrell, uh, John Farrell as Manager John, so that was something that people thought w- was uh, relatively condescending last year, and he continued that on, even though John Farrell is not even with the team anymore. Alex Cora is their new manager. Um, Price seems to be happy about that. This guy has always sort of looked to me as as the type of guy that is, if he doesn't get his way, he's not going to be happy and he may not pitch well. If he uh, has to butt heads with anyone, he doesn't really handle it well, even though he admitted that today. Uh, I just, I'll believe it when I see it. I think he has the talent to, to do good things in this league and, and win. But honestly, the Red Sox in general, I'm just, I'm curious to see what actually happens with them just because, they didn't really make any changes. They're just hoping that the managerial change is going to fix everything. And I think there are some holes on this team. 
Um, and I mean, David Price is not necessarily a hole, but he's certainly a question mark. So the words are nice, but pitching well is going to be even nicer. I wonder how much of this is Price. Uh, looking at what's happening all across baseball, then didn't have time to get into it, but like, and realizing, and especially also looking at the way that he's pitched the last couple of years, and realizing, look, there's no way I can opt out of this deal after this year. Maybe he was planning on doing it before, but like, there's there's little to no chance he's going to do that now, right? So he's probably thinking like, well, I'm stuck here in Boston now. I'm going to try to have to like ingratiate my way back into the fan base. I don't know. There's something about it, like you said, he still sort of comes across as like insincere in his yeah uh, smarmy stuff. You know, so I, I I sort of take it like yeah I I'm gonna have, I'm gonna be stuck here so I'm and I'm gonna try to like you know improve my relationship with the fans, but it doesn't it doesn't come across as real to me at all. All right, well, that's the baseball minute here on Careless Whispers, the one time that you get some baseball talk. The winter. Yep. Um, that's it for us, though. We're done. Yep. Nothing else? Yeah. Talk to you <laughs> next week, maybe? Is there a game? I don't even know. Maybe. We'll see. Play it by ear. Yep. All right, and that means I close it. All right, goodbye. Good night, everyone.